Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Great to be with you on site, online. It's so good. Hey, just before uh, I share what I want to share today, we're so grateful to have in our church Nick and Becky Drake, who head up all the stuff we do, Worship for Everyone. And, you know, for years, they've been leading the way, writing songs for all-age worship, thinking through how churches and schools throughout the UK and beyond can gather together, all ages and stages, to worship Jesus Christ. And they've just written a book called, it's called Nick and Becky Drake. No, it's called Worship for Everyone. And this is an amazing, it's like a manifesto. It's their Jerry Maguire moment where they have put pen to paper just to talk about all that they've learned, the vision and the values, the uh, opportunities we have as the church, practical ways we can gather together, the power of worship, giving people a vision for what God can do. And I just really want to thoroughly commend this book to you. We're so proud of Nick and Becky Drake, aren't we? We're so grateful for them. And uh, we want to pray that this book will be an incredible blessing. It'll be like a shot of adrenaline into the church. And that through this and through people, worship leaders, leaders, uh, teachers, embracing some of this stuff, we might see young people, children on fire for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? Isn't that what we desperately need to? Lord, bless this book and I'm encourage you to pick it up. Amazon, wherever you buy your books, grab your copy. Well, we have been in a series on the church called Here For It. Here For It, just to remind everyone, means yes, I'm in, I'm totally there, I'm excited, I surrender, I'm with this 100%. And we have spent the last eight weeks or so looking at the church If you remember, we started by reminding ourselves the church is a family you belong to. It's not an event you attend. It's not something you consume. It's a family you commit to and help build up. We looked at the church as a pioneering community. The church are those that are called out by God into the world to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are called to be a pioneering community. The church should not be a safe huddle. We looked at this beautiful reality that the church is a supernatural community filled with the Holy Spirit, equipped and empowered to move in signs and wonders. We should expect supernatural things to happen in our midst that point people to the power and the love of Jesus Christ. But we also reminded ourselves that the church is full of imperfect people. I mean, Just look around if you're in doubt. We all come with our baggage, with our mess, with our brokenness, with our questions. And together we are transformed by Jesus into his likeness. Someone once said, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And then we looked at this idea of the family business of the church being hospitality, welcoming in and loving the stranger, those who are different from us. And the church should be the most diverse, beautiful community on the face of the earth. And then we reminded ourselves of what God did in the church at Pentecost and about a church that is set for revival. And then last week, So movingly, we heard from Muchtabar talking about the reality of a global church in which 
So many are persecuted on account of their faith, but what God does in the midst of challenges and setbacks. And so I hope over the weeks you found yourself getting excited about what we are a part of and what is to come. As my friend Pete Gregg says so brilliantly, the church of Jesus Christ is the most socially diverse, culturally inclusive community on the face of the earth. We are a 2,000 year old, 2 billion strong, revolutionary movement of love and justice. We are on the forefront from refugee camps to food banks, from education through to the arts. We are on the forefront of shaping culture and caring for the poor. This is the church of Jesus. And I, for one, am here for it. And so today we're landing this series looking at the church as a holy people. We are called to be a holy people. Consistent thread throughout scripture is this idea that we are to be holy because the Lord your God is holy. Be holy for the Lord your God is holy. The God we worship is eternal. He's other. He's an all-consuming fire. He's transcendent above and beyond. There needs to be a healthy sense of fear and awe and trembling as we approach him because he is holy. But... Incredibly, he calls us to be holy. In fact, we are identified as a holy people. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, this is kind of verse we're going to really dig into today. The Apostle Peter, who messed up in some pretty spectacular ways, we've read about this and studied this before, but he betrayed Jesus in his great hour of need. But he writes these words, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Gastreet Church, you are a holy people. You Though you screamed at your kids this morning. You, though you lied at work this week. You, though you watched porn last night. You, though you failed to be generous with your resources throughout this week. You are a holy people. And I imagine so many of us don't feel like that. We're aware of our weaknesses. We carry guilt and shame and we're so acutely aware of our frailties, but God has called us to be a holy people and to step into this identity, to actually to say, no, God, this is what you say of me. It doesn't matter what I say of me or what the world says of me. You say that I'm a holy person, a holy people. And so today I want to look at what does it mean for the church to step in, to lean into this call and identity Holiness, I believe, begins by recognizing that we're chosen. That's how Peter starts. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And then he says, you're a holy nation. We've been chosen by God despite all our unfaithfulness, despite all our shortcomings. In this scripture in 1 Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter, he's referring to a verse in Hosea. He's 
encouraging us to think about the person of Hosea. Now, for those who don't know, Hosea is in the Old Testament. It's this crazy story of this crazy prophet. And God calls him to marry a lady called Goma, who is an adulteress. She's been unfaithful. And God says, you're to take her as your wife. And so Hosea commits and he marries Goma. And sure enough, she begins to be unfaithful. She sleeps around with many other men. And they begin to have some children together whilst she's being unfaithful. And one of the children, they name that child Lo-Ami. Loamin, we read that the meaning of this name is, for you are not my people and I am not your God. It's a tragic name, the sentiment, you can hear God's heart break. You know, the people of Israel, their great delight had been that Yahweh is our God and we are his special chosen people. And here God, through the prophet Hosea, is saying, no, 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 your unfaithfulness has broken my heart. Everything within me wants to say, you're not my people, I'm not your God. And this story goes on and Goma eventually leaves Hosea and she goes and she sleeps around with many, many other men and eventually is sold into slavery. And God comes to Hosea and says, you're to go and you're to buy Goma out of slavery for 15 shekels and you're to welcome her back as your wife, as your pure bride. And that's what Hosea does. And God is using this awful story that just confronts us and would have confronted the people at the time. A wife who was unfaithful was such an awful prospect for a man in that time. And God is saying, I'm like Hosea and you're like Gomer. You, the people of Israel, you're being unfaithful. You're turning your back to me. But I, like Hosea, I will keep committing myself to love you despite your unfaithfulness. And so in Hosea 2.23, the prophet says these words, I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Just an amazing promise. God saying, despite all that you've done, you will still be my people and I will still be your God. Now, when I've read this story over the years, Hosea, I find myself thinking, Hosea, what, a, what an idiot. What are you doing? Stand up for yourself, man. Come on, lay the law down. What are you doing? You're being trampled over. You're worth more than this. You're better than that. You can find another wife. She'd be faithful. Come on. And you get frustrated and angry and you can't understand. And then you realize, oh my goodness, I'm Goma. I'm the unfaithful one who again and again turns my back on God, makes choices, does things, fails to do things that wound the heart of God, that do not live out his best for me. And holiness begins when we start to recognize the extent of the sin in our lives, the damage that the sin in our lives, the choices we make that are contrary to the heart of God, the damage that they do to us, to the world all around us. And too many of us today, we tolerate and we justify sin. It's our little weakness. Oh, just because I'm tired, I made a mistake, oops. And one of the worst things we do is we, we compare ourselves to others. Now look, if I wake up in the morning and think, Do you know, ah, oh, I'm going to compare myself to Nick Herbert. And I compare myself to Nick Herbert and I think, Do you know, actually, 
I'm not doing that bad. My behavior isn't that bad. You know, I know we all think, don't we? We all look at Ali and think, oh my goodness, how does she cope? You know, poor thing. So I compare myself with Nick and I think, actually, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. But the problem is, we're not to compare ourselves to Nick Herbert. We're to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. Nick Herbert is not the benchmark. Jesus Christ is the benchmark. And Jesus Christ is perfect in every way, faultless, without sin. And he says, you are to be holy, for God is holy. And so when I compare myself to Jesus Christ, I realize that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And it's in that place I get on my knees and say, God, Help me. I become aware of my poverty and my brokenness. I no longer tolerate my sin. God begins to shine into the depths of my being and begins to bring into the light attitudes, thoughts, patterns of behavior that are wrong. You know, this story of Hosea and Gomer is a foretaste of the ultimate story of salvation, where Jesus Christ saw that us as his children, human beings, were dead in our sin. We were lost. We were broken. We were held captive. We were in slavery. And he gave more than 15 shekels to set us free, to purchase us back. He shed his precious blood that was poured out upon us. So now when God the Father looks on us, He sees Jesus' blood covering over our sin, washing it away, making us white, cleansing us. And it's Jesus' righteousness in us. So when God the Father looks at us, He says, you are a holy people because Jesus has paid the price and dealt with the problem of sin. Holy people recognise the extent of the sinfulness within You know, God is not expecting a people where there is a complete absence of sin. He's looking for a people that will acknowledge the depths of their sin. I love what a former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, says. He says, A human being is holy not because he or she triumphs by willpower over chaos and guilt and leads a flawless life but because that life shows the victory of God's faithfulness in the midst of disorder and imperfection. That is so beautiful. When we try and live a holy life through sheer willpower, through effort and striving, we will end up broken, exhausted and desolate. We will end up living a religious life and religion says, you've got to do it. You've got to accomplish it. You've got to behave well. You've got to be morally right and no one can do it. And we live a life devoid of the power and the joy and the mercy that God has for us. We become holy in the presence of Jesus Christ when we say, God, forgive me. I've sinned. I've broken. messed it up. I need you. And we receive the power of his forgiveness and mercy and he makes us right with God. And it comes when you recognize that we're chosen. Just this week, I've had some amazing conversations with people who have been weeping with me as they've expressed where they've just 
messed up, things they've done that they're so embarrassed and ashamed of, and this desperate need to get right with God. And it's been such a joy to pray with them and remind them that the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our transgressions from us. So we can receive God's mercy and you can forget about that thing and we can move on. And as people, different conversations have had, have talked about the things going on in their lives. My thought has not been, oh my goodness, what a filthy bunch of people would go to this church, you know. Oh my dear, you know, the levels of corrupt, no, no. What I'm finding myself thinking is, oh my goodness, God, you're at work purifying your bride. You are getting us holy. You love us so much. We're stepping so near to you that you're bringing into the light things that are not the best for us. God is changing us and he's making us holy because... His presence is close. His presence is close. If you look through revivals of history, one of the key markers of a revival was people repenting. The Hebridean revival, 1949. So many stories of people on their knees in repentance. There's one story of, uh, they call it a dance, a disco, a rave. I don't know what, what, what the cool kids on the front row call it these days. But they're out, 100, 100 young people partying. And suddenly, there's just this strong sense of conviction. No one was preaching, no one was talking to them, but God's Spirit was moving. His, his presence was so close that they just felt this, we need to get right with God. And I, the, the document, the kind of stories, talk of this hundred young people just running out of the party and running to the church. And the minister, he kind of is woken up and he's told to go to the church. And he, he, he walks into the church and there are young people just on their knees. And, and some of them are just crying out, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? And there's another story, again, spontaneously. It's around 11 o'clock at night. Someone knocks on the door to the local minister. Uh, and they said, look, you need to come to the church. The minister comes to the church. There's over 600 people kneeling outside the church. And again, different people, households have all come from all over the area. And the minister's like, what on earth is going on? You know, usually the church is empty and this is 11 o'clock at night. And different people are saying, we, we just became so convicted of our sin. We were just so aware of our need to get right with God. We didn't know where to go. And we thought probably the best place to go is the church. And people were getting right with God as his power and his spirit was poured out. You know, we're going to be a church that is going to minister and reach into this world. It's going to start by God purifying us, God making us holy, God making us aware of our desperate need for him. And when a holy God draws near, repentance and an awareness of our sin will always be the response. So holiness starts by recognizing that we are chosen. Holiness is a gift. It's something God has done for us. And we recognize our deep need for him. We recognize that on our own, we haven't got what it takes. Tragically, the church has often got caught up in morality. We say this often, but God hasn't come to make human beings better behaved. He's come to bring dead people to life. And until you understand that you're dead before God because of the extent of your sin and your only hope is to receive the mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ that rescues you, that lifts you up out of a pit, that sets you on a rock and say, go for it, my child, my son, my daughter. We will live lives missing out on all that God has for us. So we're called 
to be a holy nation. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, called to be a holy nation. Now, holiness, holy means to be set apart, other, pure. And nation is, is a people group. So, so God is literally saying, you're called to be a people that is radically set apart, radically different from the rest of the world. That's a vision for the church, that we're God's people, we're people connected together because of Jesus Christ, but we're also called to live lives that are distinct from the world. And it's a tragedy that so often the church, in terms of attitudes towards money or sex or ethics or whatever, really is no different from the world. Often there's nothing distinct, radical, beautiful, attractive about the church and that should never be the way because when Jesus Christ, who is the benchmark, remember? The benchmark is Jesus, not Nick Herbert, whatever he might tell you. The benchmark is Jesus. When Jesus came and walked on the earth, he turned everything upside down. He confronted the religious leaders and he spent all his time embracing the, the, the drunkards, the prostitutes, those that everyone had put to the margins of society. You know, he would gather with those that the world would say, you should never do that. His, his views on money, on justice, on sexual purity were radically different from the ways of the world. It caused huge shock. It caused great offense, but it triggered incredible conversations. He stood out like a sore thumb. And what happened? All those who were living lives that the religious leaders, the church would have thought as being sinful and dirty, they were the ones who were most attracted to Jesus Christ. They were the ones who wanted to gather around him. They were the ones who were enamored, fascinated by him. Too often we're living backfoot holiness. Backfoot, we're on the defensive Church, often known as the thing that wags the finger, everything that we stand against, everyone who's not welcome and was perceived to be judgmental and harsh, that couldn't be further from the life that Jesus Christ lived. Jesus lived a life that was radically pure. He completely stood against sin. He didn't tolerate it. He completely stood against injustice. He despised everything that was impure and yet... It was the impure that gathered to him. Yet he was known as the friend of sinners. He lived a life radically different that confronted people's lifestyles, confronted their ethics, confronted their behavior. And yet still he attracted to himself those who you'd have thought would be most shocked and offended. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector despised and rejected by the people of Israel because he was a traitor. He'd betrayed them and was aligning himself with the Roman Empire. Zacchaeus was corrupt, greedy, would abuse and rob from the poor to build up his great, vast expense and resources. And so he was hated and despised and he knew Jesus was coming to town. Jesus was walking through. And he'd have heard the stories about Jesus, the healings and the teachings and the hype around this man. And so he wants to see, he wants to know what's going on. There's something in this person that's attracted his attention. And so he climbs up a sycamore tree because he's a small guy he can't see. And I think it's interesting to know he wants to see Jesus, but he doesn't want Jesus to see him. And so many people are living in that place. 
They want Jesus not to be aware of them, but they want to see what is this about. And so Zacchaeus is up in the tree and Jesus is walking past all the crowds. And I love this about my Jesus, my Saviour. He stops and he looks up at the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down because I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to visit with you right into the very intimate place of where you live, where you spend your time, the place where you've lived on your own because you've been rejected by society. I am coming to have dinner with you. It's so beautiful that Jesus always picks out the most unlikely. And Zacchaeus, we just see this in his response. We don't read about anything Jesus tells him to do, how he should behave, how he should respond. But he says this, Zacchaeus' response is, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Isn't that amazing? The radical holiness of Jesus Christ brings incredible transformation in the life of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus isn't told exactly what to do, but immediately he's like, I want to give half of my possessions away. I want to be radically generous because I see Jesus. That's what you do. And I want to repay every wrong. I want to put it right four times the amount. And this is what Jesus did wherever he went. He rescued and he restored people. He pulled them up out of the pit. He set them on a rock and he said, you go, make a difference. You go and be a blessing to those around you. And Zacchaeus' life was changed. And I imagine everyone around Zacchaeus noticed the difference. Noticed that this man was suddenly living radically different because he had an encounter with the Holy One. And in that process was being made holy. He had a new identity. The Bishop of Coventry, uh, Chris Coxworth, writes this. Jesus lived a holy life, a life turned towards God and others, a life sought to honour the glory of God and to see God's glory manifested in those he met and to whom he ministered. So just catch this. It's a bit of a long quote, but I think it's worth, worth the, the effort and the thought. Jesus lived a life turned towards God but also turn towards others. We're called to be a royal priesthood. A priest is someone who mediates between God and the people and the people and God. So Jesus came to minister to people and to communicate and express the glory of God, to live a life that brought honour and glory to God. Okay, carries on. This ministry of establishing human beings in their true light as people created to express the glory and beauty of God in human form involved restoring the broken relationships caused through complex patterns of sin and suffering. We are all complex people. Yeah, anyone know that? You're a complex person. Ask your friends. <laughs> They'll tell you. And we all have this pain and brokenness in our lives that affects us, that hinders us. Luther, Martin Luther once said, sin is a life turned in on itself. That's how we live. And Jesus has come to restore us, to lift us out of this brokenness and to set us in a new direction. The result of the reconciliation, this kind of reconnection with God, the result of this reconciliation that followed was not only the recreation of the individual life in dignity and hope, but the appointment of a new ministry in which the restored person became a source of blessing to others sent out into the world to live and speak of the kingdom of God. 
Now that is what Jesus does. That's what he's done for you and for me. He's rescued us. He's called us. He's dealt with the issue of sin if we're willing to say, God, I'm sorry, if we confess. And then he sets us up to be a blessing to others, to bring about life and transformation to people all around us. And this is, I think, what front-footed holiness is. Not to spend our lives apologizing or holding back, but to go after the things God has called us to go after, to a holy people, I believe, are a generous people. A generous people who give lavishly away to bless others, who don't hold on to money to build up their own personal gain, who don't find their identity and hope in money. A holy people are a compassionate people who will not walk past someone in need and say, it's not my issue, not my problem, but will take time out to care and love for the downtrodden, the hurting and the broken. A holy people are those who recognise we are all made in the image of God. So if there are people who are being abused and held back because of the colour of their skin or because of their background or because of who they are, we will not tolerate that. We will not stand for that. We will stand up and speak truth into those dark places. A holy people, a holy people have a high view of sex that will hold on to the truth of God's word that says sex is to be expressed in the covenantal, committed relationship of marriage. And when sex is expressed and experienced outside of the relationship of marriage, it is not God's blessed for you. It is not God's will. And it damages you and it damages people around you. The world will say it doesn't matter. It's just a physical thing. Jesus Christ would say something completely different. And a holy people, they're not a prude people, but they understand the gift, the joy. I mean, sex is God's idea. And he's designed it to be this most beautiful thing that is expressed. And it is so powerful that the only relationship safe enough for it to be housed in is that of a marriage. And Jesus came and he lived a life and he, he proved something that we seem to have forgotten 2021, that you can be a human being, you can have never ever had sex and you could live the most fulfilled and beautiful life. Sex has become what we think is a human right. But Jesus Christ was the most fully alive person, the only person to walk the earth who was perfect in every way and he never ever had sex. A holy people care for the environment. Believe that it is God's creation, that he's called us as his people to be stewards, to love and care for it. You know, this is holiness. And when you start talking about all of these things, it's incredibly attractive. It brings so much life and hope and blessing and good to the world. It's not boring. It's not irrelevant. It's not dull. It's not harsh. It is a beautiful thing. It's an attractive thing. Jesus hasn't simply come to save us from something. He's come to save us for something. And that thing is to bring about his life, his mercy, his hope, his redemptive work in the world that we live, in the places and the context God has put us. This is front-footed holiness. And we need to step out in it. How do we step into this? How do we find the motivation, the love, the energy, as it were, the strength and empowering to do this? Well, 
It starts by confession, recognizing our weakness coming before him. But also, it will only work if it comes out of our heart of love for Jesus Christ. It will only work when we recognize all that God has done for us, who he is, and we want to live a life that will honor and please him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Sometimes we focus on obeying the commands. We miss that first bit. If you love me, if you understand who I am, if you fully surrender your life to me, then you'll obey my commands. Then you'll listen to what I say through my word rather than what the world says. Then you'll align yourself to my teachings rather than what seems to be going on on TikTok or Instagram or in the news or in the workplace, in your universities. It's only when we love Jesus Christ and our hearts burn for him that we will make radical choices to live a holy life. When I fell in love with Rachel, I changed Simple little ways, but I changed. When we were dating, Rachel had a birthday party and it was a fancy dress party. Now, I don't understand fancy dress. Why would you purposely dress up to make yourself look like an idiot for everyone else to look at you? I don't get it, but Rachel loves it. She threw a fancy dress party and when I turned out full guns blazing in the best fancy dress outfit I could find, she thought, Tim loves me. She knew, everyone knew. That was the moment where everyone knew, oh my goodness, Tim, what has happened? Why did I look like an idiot? Because I love Rachel. Rachel loves the theatre. She loves Shakespeare. I do not understand Shakespeare. Give me a trashy rom-com on Netflix any day of the week. But no, I've been to Stratford. I've sat through Macbeth and 12th Nine, not understanding a bit. My bum going sore on these seas, desperately waiting for the ice cream break. Why? Because I love my classy wife. I hate shopping. I hate shopping. But I found myself spending Saturday afternoon shopping Zara. I'm going to put it out there. I honestly think Zara is going to be what hell is like. Hell, hell is going to be a giant Zara superstore. And I'm going to spend eternity in the queue waiting to return a top for Rachel that was too big. I could have told it was too big. But no, that's what hell is going to be like. Endless queues in Zara with other teenage girls. But I do it because I love Rachel. When you love someone, you change, if you really love someone. If you don't change, I would have to question whether you really love that person. The amazing theologian, St. Augustine of Hippo, wrote this. Love God do whatever you please. Now, our culture, our society would love that. Oh, perfect. We love God and do what we like. You know, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church, sing the songs, do all the stuff, but then the rest of my life, I do what I please. But we don't quote the next bit. Love God and do whatever you please, for the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. When you love Jesus Christ, when you truly love him, when you understand that we were wretched and poor, we were dead in our sins, and he came down, he stepped out of the heavens where he was 
surrounded with the Father and the Son, and he stepped into the mess of humanity, and he stepped into the mess and humanity of my life. And he said, I don't want you to live a small life. I don't want you to live not knowing my great love for you and I'm going to deal with the problem of your sin and I'm going to be crucified on a cross. My blood is going to be shed so that I can purchase you. I can pull you into life with me and I can set you in a new direction, a new clean slate so that you can know me and love me and receive eternal life, life in all its fullness. When you understand that, I don't want to do anything in my life that will offend my beloved, it flips everything. If the band want to come up, it flips everything. Because no longer is it about, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. I mustn't do this. I mustn't do that. It's about God. I want to honor you. I want you to know how much I love you by the life that I lead. We are a holy people. We're not a perfect people. It's God alive in us, making us holy. So why don't we stand? And we're going to pray that God, by His Spirit, convicts. Convicts. Maybe some of you, you haven't taken a moment where you stand before God and say, Lord, shine your light on me. See, test my way. See if there's anything within me displeasing to you. Confession, again, I think in many ways it's a lost art. But confession is the gateway to freedom. Do you know that? Confession is the gateway to freedom. And so, Lord, by your Spirit, would you come now? Search our hearts. Test and see if there are anything, any ways deep within us that are displeasing to you. And Lord, I, I don't want anyone to leave this room. I don't want anyone to log off from online without having had a moment to say, God, I'm sorry. And then in faith to receive God's forgiveness. No one should carry shame into the rest of the day. We should all walk out of this room saying, do you know what? I am holy. We are holy people, not because of me, but because of Jesus Christ, the blood of the Lamb. And I want to step into my identity. I heard someone say once, you know, just because I go woof, woof, doesn't mean I'm a dog. Think about that. Just because I sin doesn't mean I'm a sinner. Jesus has dealt with the problem of sin. We're going to mess up. We're going to get things wrong. But Jesus has paid the ultimate price so that we can be a holy people. And so Lord Jesus, come now. Fill us with your spirit. Lead us into freedom and life. Forgive us for the things in our lives that are wrong. Bring them to our minds. Lord, we don't, we don't want to collude with sin. We don't want to tolerate sin in our lives. Lord, would you make us so sensitive to the things around us, to the things we watch on Netflix, the things we spend our money on, the humor we use, the conversations we have, the way we speak of others, the way we think about uh, the issues, the huge things going on in our world. Lord, make us sensitive to them. But Lord, also give us boldness to be a holy people, to stand out, to live radically different lives. Would you inspire us? Would your Spirit empower us to be a pure people, sexually pure people, to be a radically generous people, to be a people that care, 
the people that build a unique, diverse community, a people that the world looks upon and says, wow, how do they do that? And the only way we do it, Jesus, is because of You and Your Spirit at work within us. So Lord, come. Give us a fresh revelation of your holiness. Okay, what I want us to do again online, we're here in this room. As the Spirit is moving, I just think God's beginning to bring to light things you just know you need to put right. And the way I'd love us to do this is if you know that there's something God's really just convicting you of. That's a good thing. This is kindness. This is kindness that leads us to repentance. But if you know there's something you just need to get right before God on, I want to encourage you just to kneel. A posture of surrender, a posture of saying, God, I'm sorry, I repent, and I want to receive your mercies. You're calling me to be holy like you are holy. that's you in this room online no one's going to come and ask you so what did you get up to but God is purifying his bride it works much better when we take the first step of repentance rather than God humbling us but Lord God we, we are so sorry for where we've got things wrong I'm going to read out the Church of England confession almighty God our heavenly father we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past. Lift those things up to the Lord. Quietly speak them out to Him. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. So now receive God's forgiveness. Receive His mercy. Know that you are free. Know that your transgressions are dealt with. It's a new day. It's a clean slate. It's a fresh start where you can step into your God-given identity as the people of God, children, beloved, chosen, equipped and empowered to be a holy people. And so God now, I pray that You come and fill us and empower us to live radically different lives. May we be a people that gather the Zacchaeuses. May we be a people that show a different way to live. May we be a people not 
controlled and manipulated by the ways of the world, but may we be shaped and formed and empowered by the ways of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Come, Lord Jesus. Just going to create space just to meet with Him. God's empowering people. He's calling His people back to Him. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Gastric Church.